When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We look ahead to Auburn's week one opponent in UMass on today's episode of the Uptempo Podcast. You are now listening to the War Report Podcast Network. What's up, what's up, what's up, Auburn family? Welcome back to the Up Tempo Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dustin Smith. You see my guy down there, Blake Lane, and we are joined today by a special guest, Nathan Strauss. I'm going to preview the week one opponent at UMass. Nathan is a play-by-play announcer for UMass football, so we figured, man, get him in here. Nobody else better, right? He sees him every week. Nathan, how are you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for uh, Thank you guys for having me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Blake, you good down there, brother? Yeah, man. Just got home from the hospital. Welcome the baby boy home, Levi. So uh, we're excited, and, and I'm glad to talk some UMass football with Nathan here, Dustin. Yeah, we've, so we've got a Levi and we've got a Strauss. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, Blake, want to get us going, brother? Uh, Nathan, I, I, I want to get it popping right out the gate, man. And, and I want to do kind of fill out where uh, this UMass program is heading towards. I know you guys aren't in a conference right now, and it's been a minute since you've been in one. Uh, but I wanted to start things off with if you had to pick uh, where UMass is headed in in the football world, because we 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 all know where D one football is headed with NIL and all of this crazy things that are that are happening. Uh, but if you had to pick a conference, Nathan, where could UMass potentially end up, or would they even consider joining a conference again? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me. Uh, and mm-hmm. to sort of understand my connection to the program, I uh, I, gra- I went to UMass. I'm Massachusetts born and raised, mm-hmm. graduated UMass in 2022, uh, and then got hired back by UMass. And I do a lot of broadcasting stuff for them. My boss, Jay Burnham, is the voice of UMass football and basketball. I will fill in doing, you know, sidelines for football, some color stuff, some play-by-play stuff across, you know, hockey, basketball, uh, soccer, whatever, whatever opens up, women's hoops, mm-hmm. you know, here, there, and everywhere. Uh, so I feel a very strong tie to UMass, first of mm-hmm. all, um, even though right now I'm actually in uh, in South Carolina uh, working for the single-A affiliate of the Atlanta Braves in, in Augusta, Georgia. So for all you guys in uh, in Braves Nation or Braves Country yeah. down here, uh, I'm the voice of the Augusta Green Jackets. And uh, if you feel, I feel like I have to plug, you know, come on out to SRP yeah. Park. <laughs> I've got tickets for you, whatever you need. Um but to, uh, to answer your question about where UMass is as a program and what the sort of dream conference fit is, mm-hmm. we have this discussion every couple of months on Twitter, on UMass Twitter, and it's something that gets litigated pretty frequently. Um, but I would say a conference like the American, like the AAC, mm-hmm. uh, the AAC has expanded generally southward uh, in the last couple of years. Um, but a conference like the AAC or, you know, rejoining the MAC. Uh, either for all sports or for football only, which is probably not an option at this point, uh, might be the two sort of biggest comparables. So you need to find an, a, a, an organization where 
you're not going to be heavily outspent, but pretty much everyone in the UMass community, plant, fans, players, my guess is administration as well, understands the benefits of being in a conference. First of all, it's a path to a bowl game. And mm -hmm. even though uh, UMass does have a rights deal with ESPN, just like UConn, who you know made it to a bowl game last year as an independent, it's pretty hard to find schools that you can beat and who will schedule you as an independent. It's a lot easier if you're, you know, ball state in the Mac and you say, okay, well, you know, six of our games this year, eight of our games this year, at least are against Kent state, Buffalo, central Western Michigan, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, Cause you can't all be having up years. Whereas for UMass, you know, you're scheduling eight to 10 years in advance. Who knows if Eastern Michigan is going to be having, you know, a bowl caliber season in 2031, mm -hmm. or who knows if New Mexico uh, is going to join a conference or who knows if Liberty is going to somehow suddenly get, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in investment um, and have Hugh Freeze at their helm. And, you know, the point is it's hard to being an independent is hard. Being in the Northeast is hard. Um, being both of them at the same time uh, is extremely difficult unless you're Army, who obviously have uh, the benefits of being, you know, you know, the U.S. Uh, Armed Forces yes. Academy. So there. Is UMass independent in every sport or are you all in a conference in other sports? We are part of the Atlantic 10, the A-10, which okay. is particularly well known for being a basketball conference. Um, yeah. You know, it used to have schools like Penn State, Virginia Tech. Uh, now it's sort of, you know, UMass, Dayton, uh, St. Mm. Uh, Joe's, uh, Davidson, you know, Steph mm -hmm. Curry's alma mater. Right. Uh, that's where UMass is at for all other sports. And then our most notable sport is hockey. Uh, and we're part of Hockey East, which is the best hockey conference uh, in the country, many mm. would say other, a few people would say otherwise from the Midwest, but uh, it's the best conference in the country. And we were the national champions in 2021 and uh, continue to be one of, if not the best developmental hockey program in the country. So football is uh, obviously the biggest sport in terms of size and money in terms of success. It's definitely, you know, in the past men's hoops and certainly currently it's, uh, you know, women's hoops and hockey. Hmm. Nathan, I kind of wanted to go back to the beginning here because when I was doing some research, I found kind of some interesting things on, this, on just the story of how UMass got to this point. So correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but you played for three FCS national titles and won one in 1998. Uh, 2011 started making the transition to Division I. Uh, 2013, it became official, like y'all were bowl eligible. You could, could play in bowl games. And then in 2015, something happened with the MAC because when UMass comes in, you join the MAC. And then in 2015, something happened. So kind of what, what happened? And then as far as when, the, when y'all, what was the, I don't want to like seem like I'll be a negative here. I'm just trying to figure out exactly. Cause it seems like there you come in and then you're out of the conference pretty quickly. And now you've been independent for a while. So just where's the administration kind of going? Like, you know, where you, what's, what's the future of UMass football from here and how do we get mm -hmm. to this point from the beginning? Well, so first of all, you know, my understanding is so that when that happened, I was still in high school and I wasn't, I wasn't around for that specific time, but my understanding is that when UMass joined the Mac as a football only option back in the mid, mm. mid 2010s, uh, there was a, uh, a clause in the contract that gave, I believe both sides an out after two years. Mm. Uh, so UMass could potentially look to find uh, a different conference or a more suitable all sports conference. And again, I don't know the full details because, you know, you mentioned the national championship game in, in 98, I was born in 99. Uh, <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's uh, a lot of my knowledge about the program and its journey has been done, you know, post facto. So it's been mm -hmm. backfilling information. Um, and what I do know is, you know, UMass 
left the Mac, uh, you know, after 2015, uh, after the 2013-14 season, uh, or try, sorry, after the 2014-15 season, uh, you know, UMass ended up becoming independent uh, in the in, around earlier at that time. You know, UMass was playing home games at Gillette Stadium, uh, where the Patriots play. And for understanding, UMass, uh, the flagship Amherst, is uh, located two hours to the west of Boston. Oh, and wow. so it's uh, Foxborough is located about 45 minutes south of Boston. So it was about two hours and 15 minutes to go to and mm. from. And obviously, you know, unless you're a school like Auburn or UGA who can get away with playing at, you know, Mercedes-Benz Stadium because it's an hour and 15 minutes down the road from Athens, <laughs> a drive that I did yesterday to go to Trader Joe's. Um, it's, go. it's tricky, you know, to get students to build support in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's sort of been the, the, the legacy of the program. And at that time in the mid 2010s, Mark Whipple was the head coach who's a, you know, a pretty famous or relatively speaking high profile guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe he's now at Nebraska, um, following stints at, at Pitt, I believe. So, um, you know, and then after that, things got a little complicated. Um, you know, there was a, a coaching hire that didn't pan out the way uh, it, it possibly could have. Um, we can relate. That's now with, uh, with Don Brown at the helm. <laughs> we can relate. <laughs> we, can, we can relate, buddy. We just uh, we just went through that. Uh, as you mentioned Don Brown, he actually coached at UMass before, right? 04 to 08. Uh, I kind of wanted to ask you, like, what is what is the pillars of a Don Brown program? Like, what is something that he hangs his hat on? This is one thing we're going to do on Saturdays. Aggression. Uh, the answer is oh, yeah. aggression. He's got this uh, famous, you know, saying, solve your problems with aggression. It's okay, uh, like it's, print, it's printed on the uh, the video room on the sort of the, the top of the video room screen. Uh, mm-hmm. He is all about sort of commitment, intensity and, and aggression. Uh, and Don Brown is not only a national name, you know, he's had stints at Michigan and Arizona State, amongst others, but he is like a New England football icon uh you know he had time at umass he had time uh at northeastern which no longer has a football program he's a massachusetts guy in a sport that really is very much not massachusetts centric so he recruited a lot of the top new england prep talent to michigan when he was there um but as far as what you're going to see on the field it's very defense oriented he's got a nickname dr blitz uh and you saw if you look at some of the results last year you know umass went down to A&M, who obviously were having a down year themselves, but still mm-hmm. had one of the most prolific recruiting classes of all time and with Jimbo mm-hmm. Fisher at the helm and countless other famous high-profile analysts, coaches, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, and held into 17 points and really you know, m- did not give up anything. There was a time in that game about at the late stage of the second half when UMass actually was outgaining them by 100 yards on the ground. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at a program that defensively can compete with just about anyone uh and that goes from personnel but particularly to uh you know the systems at hand um they'll mix it up they'll show a lot of different fronts and defense is a priority because when you're trying to evaluate a quarterback which i'm imagining we'll get to in a little bit as far as what umass will do on the other side of the ball your defense will keep you in games and the biggest issues for umass last year and, and one of the reasons why the record doesn't necessarily line up with some of the metrics defensively is that the offense just couldn't stay on the field enough to yeah. give the defense breathers. Yeah. And obviously that really hurts you defensively, especially when you're not all that deep. Yeah. Yeah. That'll wear on you as the season goes on. 
Nathan, one thing I kind of picked up right there is is uh, you were talking about uh, kind of the athletes that UMass is is going to look to bring in. How difficult is it going to be to pitch that area to these high school kids and to to bring in uh, some 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 big time talent to to get this thing flipped around up there? So I don't know if you guys have ever been. Have you guys ever been to Boston or Massachusetts in the fall? I have not. No, sir. So Amherst, you know, two hours west of Boston is like a picturesque New England college town. It is mm. beautiful. Football season there is just like one of the true delights in the world. You'll get it, you know, in, in mid-September and October. It'll be, you know, 70, 65 degrees, crisp, cool breeze in the morning, pleasant mm. in the afternoon. The leaves all change. Uh, the stadium is, you know, when you look out, it's got this backdrop of foliage, you know, red, orange, yellow leaves. As far as selling Amherst as an area, if you're comparing Amherst to Piscataway, New Jersey, for example, if you're looking at, okay, do I want to go to Rutgers or do I want to go to UMass, which is a pretty common dilemma because Rutgers, you know, is the closest power five school to New England. And they offer a lot of New England talent that UMass is looking at as well. If you're choosing between Rutgers or sort of lower end power five schools, the Rutgers of the world, for example, um, you know, SEC schools probably excluded at this point, just given where the SEC is. But if you're looking at Rutgers or BYU or a school in the Mountain West, Boise State, it's um, the Amherst lifestyle is really beautiful. And as a school, as far as academics go, UMass is a good school. You know, it's yeah. it's 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 really up there. It's a top 25 you know public school in the country. And, um, you know. It's a, it's a really nice area. So it's not a tough sell, and the facilities are very, very good and have gotten a lot of investment. The stadium is one area that UMass lags behind in. Um, you know, it's not the most high-tech or even the most um, new or fresh stadium. Uh, yeah. But as far as your life as a student athlete, as an athlete at UMass, it's, it's, it's pretty good. Um, and we do have the best dining in the country, famously. That's sort of one thing that UMass really hangs its hat on is the, the number one dining. And it's been that way. And as a student who gained 15 to 20 pounds during my time there before I dropped the meal plan my senior year, uh, I can definitely attest to that as well. So, look, it's there not, you, you know, it's not College Station. It's not Athens. Mm-hmm. It's not, um, you know, Tempe, Arizona. But it's uh, it's got some benefits. It's, it really does. That's awesome. Dustin, you want to kick off this football talk? Yeah, dude, let's get into the season this year. So you kind of got on, you talked about the defense last year, just not being in the position to win. Um, and I look at it, I say 12.5 points a game from that offense, 131st out of 131 teams. What is the game plan, man? How is UMass going to put some points on the board and help that defense out? That's a great question. I think, I mean, obviously, you know, you're talking about putting points on the points on the board. It all starts with, with QB play. And UMass has really revamped the QB room. So also to contextualize last year's last year's team a little bit and, and sort of why the numbers looked the way it did, um, almost a complete uh, you know changing of the guard. So in 2020 uh, and 2021, uh, and a little bit before that as well, UMass was led by Walt Bell, who's now uh, the OC at Indiana. It was not a good fit for a number of reasons, and the results really back that up. Um, but with the transfer portal the way it is and with the changing in coaching staffs, UMass cleaned house and the players cleaned house as well. And that's sort of a mutual mm-hmm. symbiosis that you'll often find when a new coach comes in. 
especially when you're towards the lower end of the ladder as far as you know program prestige goes. So everyone was coming in with pretty much a fresh slate last year. And again, being UMass and scheduling the way UMass does, it's hard to hit the ground running quite literally uh, when your personnel has gone through such a change and you've got you know, a, a head coach who is very experienced, but again, is working with this group of players for the first time. Um, you know, not just a head coach, but really an entire, you know, more or less a, a large portion of the coaching staff. You know, Alex Miller, our O-line coach and, and a big part of our offense excluded. He was the interim when Walt Bell uh, left the program by sort of mutual consent, so to speak. So the numbers last year are emblematic of where UMass was talent-wise, but also familiarity-wise, you know, and hmm. there's only so much practice you can do to get better, part of that learning has to come in games. And there were a number of games last year that UMass was in till the very end. You know, Eastern Michigan, Arkansas State, for example, were, you know, UMass against Arkansas State came down to a goal line stop. UMass had a chance to take that game to OT or even win it with a, with two. So some of the numbers, obviously not great. But what UMass did do is get a bunch more quarterbacks. Uh, and that's the, the big thing. So our day one starter last year, Gino Campiotti, was a, a Juco guy um, who has now been converted to a tight end. And he was a running QB. Uh, the, the passing numbers weren't great, but a real high character guy. So he's moved out of the quarterback room. And the rest of our reps really met, went to Brady Olson, who was a, a younger guy and struggled a little bit. He's still on the roster. Um, but the big names are Carlos Davis, who was an FCS transfer brought in from Western Carolina, who had real good numbers down there with the, uh, I believe they're the Chanticleers as well, or maybe the, the the Mountaineers of Western Carolina. I know Coastal's the Chanticleers, so probably the Mountaineers. We'll go with that. No, they're the Catamounts. Got it. Catamounts. Yeah, they're the, so, the, the SoCon. I know a little bit about the SoCon, yeah. Yeah, so he is part of the QB room, and he's a fifth-year guy, so someone who's really experienced at running an offense. Uh, and the other guy, the bigger name, is Tyson Pomachan, who began his career at Clemson as sort of the heir apparent to, to DJ Ugale, um, Ugale. Yeah, he's, yeah. Now at, yeah. Like he's, he's now at Oregon, I believe. But it didn't pan out there. He went to Georgia Tech, um, and he now is at UMass and is a not only a high-profile name, but also someone who does have playing experience and playing experience for real at Clemson and Tech. Um, you know, it's different than bringing in someone who has been a backup, a true backup, or a third string at a P5. It's someone who has you know, legitimate experience and that kind of quarterback poise is not something that UMass has had in a decade and certainly not last year whatsoever. Um, so figuring out who wins that battle, um, which I'm imagining we're going to get a good idea of when, because UMass plays week zero out in Las Cruces, um, mm -hmm. is going to be a good indicator of how UMass mm -hmm. is going to play. But pro style offense, most likely. Um, my guess, if I, I mean, and I'm not, I, again, I don't have any information whatsoever is, I think Pomachan is probably the guy with the, the highest ceiling. Mm -hmm. Davis is the one with the most experience. But between those two and also a really talented freshman, uh, Ahmed Hassan, who's like thought of as being the future at QB in this program, those are the guys um, who, who will likely be involved in some way. Uh, Nathan, I want to I want to look outside at the receiver position, or even in the backfield, man. What are some of the names uh, that could possibly make a big play against Auburn, or, or uh, you know, if it gets tight late, could uh, end up stealing something in Jordan Hare for UMass? Well, it's going to be really interesting because uh, you know UMass had Ellis Merriweather, who's now a member of the, uh, I believe he's with the Packers. He just he signed a, a two year deal there um, this mm -hmm. last off season as a as an undrafted guy. 
he was a real workhorse sort of bell cow or bell cow back for, for UMass. Uh, yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see who ends up, you know, carrying that as far as uh, carrying that weight, so to speak, uh, from the backfields. And again, it's it, it could be, you know, by committee, um, depending on, you know, who is where. Uh, and that's just something that we're not going to know necessarily until until uh, maybe until after that that first week uh, worth yeah. of games. But as far as running backs go, um, you know, it's, you know, Karon Adams is a guy who p- carried a lot of weight last year as well. He'll, I, I'm imagining he could easily start, um, you know, at, at, at running back in that first game. Um, you know, it, it also could be, you know, Zamar Wise is someone who uh, was a quarterback and then has now been converted into like an all-purpose wide receiver, you know, sometimes a slot guy, sometimes in the backfield. We'll see how they use him this year. And uh, Greg DeWozier who's our kickoff return man, he is someone who could, um, you know, end up in the backfield in a more prominent role uh, as well. We also brought in Jalen John from from Arizona, um, who could very easily become a big part of this as well. And that's going to be the big question. I think we, we might just have to wait and see, which is yeah. kind of a, a dumb answer to this question. But yeah. when you're turning over as many guys as, as UMass mm-hmm. is and losing high character guys to, you know, professional ranks you're going to bring in some new faces as well and, and we'll see how how coach Kasul and everyone else you know dials them up hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line yeah that's i think that's the crazy thing about college football today college sports honestly is you just the turnover and and the transfer portal and uh constantly seeing new faces and everything uh dustin uh, i know you had a couple questions that you wanted to ask uh on both sides of the ball well, I didn't know that y'all had a. Uh, I didn't know that UMass had the week zero opponent. So, who is that exactly? And then, how important do you think that is to get that that week one opponent before you go face obviously a, a big time opponent in, in Auburn? Yeah, so UMass is at New Mexico State um, in a game that's actually on ESPN, which is a pretty that's awesome cool. way to start off the year, I think, for yeah. players, for fans, especially because like Amherst, Massachusetts to Las Cruces, New Mexico, it's not exactly direct flight territory. <laughs> um, I will still be with the Green Jackets at that time. Um, I'll be with them for the first couple of weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really important to, to have that. You know, um, I think, look, let's be let's be honest about the purpose of UMass playing Auburn as well. Um, it's a bye game. And UMass football brings in a lot of money through these games. You know, UMass played at, at A&M last year, playing mm-hmm. at, at Penn State this year, for example. Part of the purpose is financial. Right. And that's... The way it is, and even though UMass has given programs like AM, uh, Georgia, Tennessee games in the past, in the, in the in the last decade or so, competing is what you want, right? And it's also an opportunity for players to see these games on the schedule and think, mm-hmm. man, I got to compete, you know, in Auburn. How great is that? I get to compete in College Station. I get to compete in you know in, in Happy Valley. Like it's it's different. Um, so that's why those games exist, and you know it's. Um, I, I, UMass is UMass obviously and Don Brown will say we want to win every game because right. you have to you have to believe you want to win every game yeah but 
if you lose by 20, you know, and it's important to note, UMass has never not covered against an SEC opponent. Every single game oh, UMass is covered. So if I had to guess, Vegas is going to look at that, look at that game right now and think, wow, Auburn minus 38 and a half, if not more than that. And also, you know, Hugh Freeze has seen UMass a good, a good number of times because UMass played Liberty every year um, in okay. the last, you know, five years or so. But yeah. So, so th- that is a great piece of information, Nathan, because we here at the War Report Network are actually about to start doing a, a little uh, gambling thing, uh, a, a little gambling pod and everything, talking about the best liners, maybe best locks of the week and everything. Uh, so that little week hey. one right there, UMass, you might be on to something. Take the points with the minute, man. Well, I mean, it just depends. It depends on, you know, it depends on how UMass looks week one. And I, I want to – just put out there for 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 <laughs> legal reasons, you know. As someone who does work with UMass athletics, I cannot offer any endorsement of um, <laughs> of gambling of anything yeah. like that. I was, more, I was obviously bringing it up for purely statistical reasons, yeah. and also to illustrate the fact that UMass has played up pretty well. Um, you know, you look at UMass's schedule last year, and uh, the <laughs> the big the big losses were not to the biggest opponents you know, on mm. out there, um, you know, and, and when UMass did play A&M, it was a much closer game than many Vegas included, you know, would have expected. So uh, I think UMass, you know, if UMass comes out and UMass is eight and a half point dogs week one on the road in New Mexico and it's a, or New Mexico state rather, if UMass comes out and wins that game, which they could, you know, UMass yeah. really could, um, it could be interesting. And and the big thing with UMass is like a couple of different breaks and every program could say this, but like, you know, a couple of different breaks, uh, you know, different special teams, a recovered fumble. And you see a lot, a couple of results. You, you go from having one win in each of the last couple of years to two or three. So, mm-hmm. and it might not seem like much, but it's you know double or triple what, what is on mm-hmm. the record now. So for sure. Mm-hmm. When you talk about, when you talk about UMass playing up and then you talk about, the mentality of uh, the, the coach just showing up and fighting. How much is that indicative of the team playing up to the head coach's personality? We're going into these big opponents and we're not scared. That's exactly it. Um, you know, UMass really recruits guys who have that kind of personality, mm-hmm. I think in general. And to a certain extent, you know, that is what Don Brown is to be successful at a, a school in new England from a footballing perspective. Mm-hmm. It requires a little bit of that grit and a willingness to compete when, you know, Massachusetts as a state is a lovely place to live, but um, the athletics funding is not comparable to what you get at big state schools in the Midwest or in the South. And Mm -hmm. conferences aside, because obviously that plays a big part in it, um, you are fighting an uphill battle and you have to be committed and willing as a player, as a coach and as a fan as well. Um, And certainly someone who tries to straddle that boundary a little bit as a member of the the broadcast department and media because obviously I want my, I want these teams to do well. It's my alma mater. Like, yeah, and yeah. I don't think it's a bad thing, but um, no, don't apologize for it. I, I think it's a, I think it's a really, I think it's really encouraging to see how UMass has played up in those, in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. So UMass plays, you know, Penn state and Auburn this year, uh, you know, going back to, to last year, you know, the big game was, you know, at A&M. That was obviously, uh, that was obviously important, you know, 2020, uh, 2021 was a bit of a, a different story. Uh, you know, you started off the season at Pitt. You played a school like Boston College, who, you know, I misspoke, by the way, is the closest Power 5 school to, uh, yeah. to, to New England. But 
for reasons of its own, um, slipped my mind. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's the guys like playing up and Don Brown really fires them up. Like if you don't get, if you just watch, look up a clip on UMass football's in, uh, Twitter or Instagram or, or whatever, look up a clip of how he coaches these guys in practice. Mm-hmm. And if you're not running through a wall or ready to at that point, like give your, give yourself a check because like, he will get the guys going. Like if you, if you look at him and aren't immediately fired up, like this man will absolutely freaking bring it, you know? So. Love and that. Something else you said that interested me was when we were talking about uh, UMass playing Auburn and you mentioned, it's just important for these kids to just to come to say that they got the opportunity to play in Jordan hair. And I want you to speak on that. And then maybe how much, how much that that paycheck helps UMass athletics as a whole, because there are a lot of guys, Nathan, that we have to hear as Auburn fans, because we play New Mexico state as well, uh, right before we play Alabama. And there's a lot of guys out there looking at you, big game boomer that say, that say these sec teams schedule these small schools. And it's not, a, it's not, you know, that they, they come at us for it. They say, well, this is a cupcake. And we're always sitting here saying, well, these programs survive. Mm-hmm. off of these type of games. So just how important is that paycheck to UMass Athletics and for these kids that are probably never going to get to go play in a big-time game to say, hey, man, I got to compete in the SEC stadium on a Saturday night. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, like I think a lot of the players that UMass has brought in do have experience in these environments, you know, mm-hmm. especially the higher-profile transfers who played at Arizona or Arizona State or Rutgers or, um, you know, Georgia Tech and Clemson, for example. And a lot of these guys as elite athletes in high school as well were playing in big time environments, but you know, only 98 people can play for Auburn each year or, or Michigan each year, you know? And I think most guys, obviously, you know, that's a, a, a something to aspire to, but you still find good environments everywhere. And so as, as impressive as the environments are, you know, at, at A&M, for example, last year or at Penn state and stuff, um, you know, I think college football is really valuable because each school kind of shows out in a different way. Like one of my favorite environments last year was actually playing at Kent State. I'm sorry, at Toledo, rather, in the evening. Like mm. they packed their stadium, which is in, in, it's a Mac school, you know, and they packed it out. Um, and it was very, you know, it's just as valuable, I think, for the players on both teams as playing at a school like Auburn. And I think like that's something that I think you have to sort of learn as a, a UMass fan and probably as a player as well. But as far as the the check goes and as far as what it, it means, you know, I think the fee is something like 2 million. I know A&M paid us more like three last year. Um, but, you know, UMass, like all but, you know, 15 to 20 different schools uh, in the country uh, runs a deficit for its football program. I believe uh, that only, um, you know, 16 to 20 programs in the, in the country turn a profit and they are the schools that you would expect. Um, And so it's important that, you know, as far as football goes, that money that gets brought in helps fund things like travel for our, you know, our Olympic sports, uh, for example, you know, not being part of a conference where you don't get a conference check for football means that you do rely a little bit on subsidies uh, and not subsidies as in Auburn, and the AD believe they owe UMass, you know, to keep this program afloat. Cause that's like a little, that's not really how the relationships work, but there's benefits to Auburn playing these games as well. You know, especially because you're scheduling these, these are scheduled eight to 10 years in advance. Every team needs buy games and UMass is, you know, 
they are an opponent and they'll give you a game. And obviously it's not going to be, you, you don't want to be Michigan last year, right? That's, you don't want to be Michigan last year and schedule cupcakes, but also you can't plan that far ahead because who knows if UMass, when you guys scheduled this game in 2016, 2017, if UMass joins the American or gets a, a, an invite to you know the Mac again or something, mm-hmm. how, where UMass would be at that time. And I'm sure plenty of schools found that out about Liberty the hard way in the last mm-hmm. couple of years too. Arkansas. Uh, as much as I, yeah, as much as I, um, as much as I hate to give, you know, that, that program, a lot of props, um, you know, I'm sure. And, and so I'm sure UConn last year surprised some, some teams who scheduled them as well. Yeah. So like that's part of the game. And so Auburn fans, I think ideally can look at this and say, wow, we didn't know that much about UMass going in. What an awesome dedicated group of supporters and fans who support this program, knowing that being, a four-win team is like the absolute best-case scenario this year. And how awesome is it that college football can be so, you know, entertaining and can bind mm-hmm. all of us together when the programs, the places could not be more disparate. You know, when you're mm-hmm. when you're drawing 20k and not 90k, but they're just as passionate, you know. And if right. that's a little patronizing, yeah. so be it. But it is an accurate reflection of like like we are just as strong and committed fans as other as other programs mm-hmm. would be. Just different circumstances, you know. Yeah, uh, Nathan, I, like you just mentioned, that that UMass is going to be they're going to be the underdog, uh, obviously uh, coming down to Jordan Hare, and and it might be a big underdog. Who knows, man? But uh, what can UMass do coming to Jordan Hare to maybe pull off an upset? Who knows? That's the beauty of college football, right? We've seen it in the past, um, mm-hmm. plenty of times. Uh, you know, and and we've we've seen an app state going into the big house, and and it can happen, right? So what can what has to happen for this UMass team to potentially pull off a a huge upset? I mean, hope they go for a field goal in a in a, in a late game situation, run it back, or uh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go kick sixes. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I, if I was like, if I knew, I, as soon as I knew I was coming on here, I was like, I, I have to make the reference at least once. There you go. Um, but uh, no, I think first of all, you know, it, it's keep your offense on the field. It's avoid three and outs because even mm-hmm. if you're, even if you just move the sticks one time that's five extra minutes of oxygen that's going into your DBs, mm-hmm. right? And it keeps them better prepared to try and shut down, you know, try and keep Auburn from moving the chains. Um, that's one, you know, one where one way that UMass really excelled last year was in, in takeaways. UMass really won the turnover battle a lot of the time on defense alone. Um, interceptions and fumbles was another situation for the offense. But again, it's UMass is going to build, if UMass is going to be close in this game and keep this game close, it's going to be on the defense, but mm-hmm. the offense is going to be a big part of why their defense can function the way it does. So if you can get 14 points from your offense, if you can get good QB play and maybe rip off one big gain, um, I think it would go a long way. And obviously, as every underdog knows, take care of the ball. You know, you just yep. can't when you're a big underdog, you can't be sloppy. You can't give the home favorite team playing in front of a big crowd at Jordan Hare. You can't give them field position you can't give them you know the margin of error is so slim you, you know you can't kick you can't kick off out of bounds like you got to yeah. win you got to win at least one and a half of the three phases and um it's going to be harder to do that on offense than the other two so if you can win or at least be be competitive in special mm-hmm. teams and win the defensive battle um like that'll get you pretty close mm. in theory well, pretty close relatively speaking yeah yeah absolutely absolutely dustin you got anything 
Yeah, Nathan, you had said, you kind of alluded to it a second ago, you said four wins would be best case scenario. So just kind of looking ahead at UMass's season here, it's a, what has to happen? But I, I want UMass to make a bowl game. After talking to you, I'm pulling for mm-hmm. UMass, bro. How That's does UMass cool. make a bowl game this year? So, so let's look at last year's schedule first and to, to understand sort of what happened. So UMass and UMass beat Stony Brook, an FCS team, in the only win of the year, 20 to 3, um, early season, you know, you know, first home game of the year. Then they went to Temple and it was scoreless, I believe, at halftime. Um, and then ended up losing 28 nothing. You know, offense had nothing, ran out of gas, whatever. Next week, you lose by a touchdown to Eastern Michigan in a game that they were in until the very final stages of that game. Then the wheel sort of fell off, um, you know, big losses to Liberty, uh, big loss to Buffalo, both of them at home. And then, um, you know, a, a close-ish loss to New Mexico State, a big loss to, to UConn at, at stores or at, in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, and then, you know, the big one, which was the, the, the two-point loss to Arkansas State in a game that UMass really easily could have won with a couple of bounces. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you think about it, UMass lost their QB in the Eastern Michigan game um, and then ended up struggling offensively, as you would expect, in a, in a one-touchdown game. And UMass, you know, was a two-point conversion away from, you know, taking Arkansas State to overtime. And then, you know, the, the blowout loss to Army that followed was, you know, sort of par for the course. But the depth that UMass has this year is much better than it was last year. And that's part of it. You know, when you are at the bottom, not it's not only the, the top-level guys on your program who are having to play up it's also the rest of your program and and UMass really did not have the depth to compete at the level that they wanted to last year and that was it's not an excuse but it's certainly a factor when you think about how guys get injured over the course of the year when you lose if you've got six starting quality o-linemen and three of them go down that means you're going to be operating with two guys who are filling in who just aren't there yet and that's that's why this year, if you have 10 guys who could start and are pushing each other, maybe you fare a little better when other guys go down. So looking at this year's, looking at this year, uh, New Mexico State, winnable game. Auburn, not a winnable game on the surface, obviously. Um, Miami, Eastern Michigan, you know, schools in the MAC you can be competitive against. New Mexico, winning, winnable game at home. Arkansas State, winnable game at home. Toledo at home, probably not winnable because um, they've got a, a tremendous QB in, in Fitz who is mm-hmm. really, really good. And they diced UMass up last year um, with a, a dual threat QB. And who knows? They're, they're, that's a tough game. Then you follow that up with a, a trip to Penn State. That's not a winnable game. Army, who knows what Army is going to look like this year without the triple option, right? That's sort of their big change. Um, Army is one of those things where it's like on paper, you'd expect it to be competitive. But again, if they're keeping the defense out for 10 minutes a quarter yeah, because of the triple yeah. option, that's where, I mean, they even passed against UMass last year. So <laughs> who knows there, right? And then you come back, you play Merrimack, FCS at home. That has to be a win. That is the yeah. only game that you look at the schedule and say, this is a must-win game, anything else, and heads start to roll. And then you wrap up the season with, you know, at Liberty – which who knows what they will be like this year, but again, probably, uh, probably a game that you're not super competitive in just based on, you know, Liberty will probably be playing for a bowl game at that point. Um, admittedly with, with new leadership and different talent. Um, but that's probably a game that's not a schedule loss because nothing is in college football as, as you know, but 
that's probably a tough one. And then wrapping up the season um, with a rivalry game, the there's a name for it, UMass and UConn. If you don't mm-hmm. know the name for it, look up UMass-UConn football rivalry. Mm-hmm. Um, when you put the letter C that UConn rocks with combined with the U and M of UMass, um, as you know, the, the the networks do when they promote the game, it's called the the Cumble. Um, <laughs> not, that is very much not an official title, as much as many folks online wish that it would be. But it is as close to um, it is as close to an Iron Bowl as you get for UMass and UConn, and obviously two schools that are independent, two of the four that are mm-hmm. independent. That could have some implications depending on how to how that goes and. The indications are, and I say this, the indications are it is at Gillette Stadium, um, which is a great spot because it's Thanksgiving weekend and mm-hmm. UMass has a huge alumni base in Boston and that's a pretty easy sell to go to Gillette Stadium and UConn as well, huge New England alumni base. So mm-hmm. you're looking at this schedule and you're saying, okay, say we win against Merrimack, which is a given, and then... We, we win against one of the New Mexico teams. So New Mexico State on the road or New Mexico at home, both of whom are also graded in the bottom 15 in the country. That, there's two wins. Now, can you sneak a win from Miami, Eastern Michigan, Arkansas State, one of those three, or maybe mm-hmm. uh, Miami, Eastern Michigan, Arkansas State, or Toledo? Can you sneak one win from those four or two wins from the five, including Army. That gets you to two to three wins. And then you win against UConn in your rivalry game. And then you're at four and eight. It's a, a milestone high for the program in the last decade. And you've got some building blocks going forward. You know, the, the best case crazy scenario is, you know, Liberty loses a bunch of guys and you go down to Lynchburg and knock them off. Or maybe you win against... Eastern Michigan, who UMass was really competitive with last year. Maybe you win against them at home, and then you also beat Arkansas State, who UMass was close against last year. Now you're at three wins with late-season games against an FCS school in UConn. Can you get to five? And if you're thinking idealistically, if you can get to five, all you need is um, a couple bounces in one of your your bye games or a schedule loss, and then all of a sudden you're at six. But no UMass fan is going to come out and say that six wins next season is doable or even think about that. Like you do that, they're building the statue. So <laughs> I think realistically, you know, I, I want to say, I'll, I'll, I'll look this up right now. UMass football um, win total Vegas. I want to say it's probably at like two and a half. Yeah. yeah. So UMass is, uh, it's it, over two and a half plus 110 over two is minus 160. And then, so basically Vegas thinks UMass is going to get somewhere between two and two and a half wins with three sort of pushing it. And so I think if, I think if you beat that, if you go three and nine, you're happy. Four wins, you are very, very happy. Last year, you only won one game, right? Plus 110 over two and a half, right? Let's hammer that over two and a half, all right? <laughs> uh, let's hammer it, all right? Let's let's, UMass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. I want UMass to hey, get to that four-win mark. Yeah, I mean, assuming one of those is not down at Auburn, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, you can't – no, you can't have that one. can't have that one. And for the record, you brought, you brought this up earlier, but, but App State is the perfect mm-hmm. example of what I would love to see UMass be. 
-hmm. get into a conference that is not a high major, but certainly a, a a mid-major football conference, right. Mm -hmm. With all sports as well. You pull off a couple of upsets. You have a, 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 you get the right coach in and you win a, you win a couple of big games and then you're playing in a high profile bowl. You know, Boone, North Carolina is very similar to Amherst, Massachusetts. I know this because I drove through Boone literally four days ago. Um, and it's, it's, it's beautiful towns. The cell is on the, the town itself. You know, it's very different from what you would get in a, a more city-based school like a Toledo, you know, or a Houston in the, in the American. Um, but uh, like that would be the dream. And maybe, maybe you get a big donor and all of a sudden you've got a new, a new stadium. You get 50 million worth of, worth of stadium donations. You're like, wow, we're building this. And then you find like winning begets winning, especially in college sports more than anywhere else. Guys want to play for a winning program. Guys play to win because if you, if you can't win, why bother playing? And so UMass for the last five years or so has been stuck in this rut of how do we take that first step? Because I mean, everyone will be honest, like it's been a tough watch at times. You know, the first game I ever broadcast at UMass, um, I was the engineer and studio host for a football game against the, I believe it was the Southern Illinois Salukis. Is that, does that sound right? Or Northern Illinois Salukis? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And they came into UMass and won by 30 as an mm. FCS school. And mm. I was like, okay, this is where <laughs> we're at. And so there has been growth as hard as it can be to see from the outside and even from the inside sometimes. So again, if you're an Auburn fan, if you're a fan of a power five school who get bored one weekend and are like, Hey, I wish I had a, a, a sicko team to support. Like, you know, sicko's committee is all over us for, for good reason. Like, yeah. come on, like join the fun. Like, yeah. like we're, we're, we're fun. You know, uh, there might be some differences ideologically, whatever the case may be, but like, there's no harm in, you know, like I will fully admit that I really enjoy watching. Um, I really enjoyed watching Georgia last year. I really enjoyed watching, um, you know, Tennessee pre-injury. Like it's yeah. just fun to watch. And I think that there can be fun in the other direction as well. Once you get used to it. Love that. Well, Nathan, uh, before we let you go, man, we always kind of end our episodes uh, with a final thought. You can talk about anything uh you can bring up anything dustin usually wraps it up but we're gonna let you uh bring up anything you want man that's going on uh and and we're gonna give you the floor it doesn't have to be like do you want it to be like umass and college sports related or can it be man if you want to if you want to highlight anything a charity or whatever or anything that is on your mind brother you can go away and, and talk about it yeah i think that what i would use my my time to say is that you know I think it's important when when fans of big schools and fans of schools that are that have really big athletic departments, they recognize that, you know, if things go wrong or if UMass were to win a game or get close in a game, the there, it is an uphill battle that I think we fight as a state school and as a state school that competes in a different stratosphere than a lot of the bigger opponents that we play. Mm-hmm. And that, that affects everything from, um, you know, obviously the. The, the, the salaries for coaches, the size of our coaching staff. I mean, you look at Nick Saban's analysts and they're guys who are getting paid more than the highest paid state employee in the state of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So that's like one thing. And then you look at, you know, what UMass is able to do off the field in terms of content production. Like we have a really great content team that is doing amazing power five level work with maybe a quarter of the resources and a quarter of the, mm. the people, you know, going to Texas A&M, 
where they have eight SIDs working the game um, mm -hmm. just as comms people and not as like scrambling around to do other sort of game day stuff. It opens your eyes a little bit to how much certain schools are able to do with a lot less. And it, it's, a lot of it comes down to money. A lot of it comes down to, um, you know, climate and sort of support from the state, support from the institution, et cetera, et cetera. But just recognize that, like, we're all trying to do our best. And if things go wrong, if, if uh, you know, if, if, if things are different, like, we're, we're, we're trying. And it's, uh, it, yeah. I really do think a rising tide carries all ships, you know, like mm -hmm. higher pay for your creative staff, higher, more people hired for creatives, mm -hmm. um, you know, everyone deserves to be able to make a living doing this and, and covering, you know, sports they love and uh, producing content and getting, getting, getting the program out there. Um, just, just support them, you know, give them a retweet, you know, embed their video and tag them, like tag, tag these guys. Don't just steal their content. Like that's, hmm. that's what I would say. Just like be considerate of the people who are, are grinding it out in this industry for 40 K a year. Um, and then yeah. trying to, you know, basically make the experience as a fan as good as possible. That's, that's what I would yeah. say. And if that's whiny, so be it. But um, and, and that extends, you know, support your podcasts, support yeah. the people who are providing other coverage of the sport who aren't working for, you know, big papers or big companies like there's value in all of this. Right. So that's what I would say. Uh, that, that's great stuff, Nathan. And 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 uh, I want to give a shout out to my guy, Logan Carney. Uh, when I first started this podcast, uh, I, he he was kind of telling me like, hey, man, uh, in the afternoons, like I would love to record, but. I'm also like an Uber Eats driver and he's like, so like, I'd have to record doing that also. And I'm like, okay, well he was on the beat with West Virginia at the time. And uh, we were talking about the backyard brawl last year and everything like that wild game and everything that happened in it. And uh, he, he come on to preview West Virginia season while he was on an Uber Eats delivery. And I was like, dude, this is so cool. Like, you know, just, just doing it. And he, he kind of told me of like, you know, how guys at even at West Virginia, like, you know, they don't get the pay that other people get, you know, and like he has to go do things like that and everything. And it was just the grind, you know, and then he follows up uh, inside of the Steelers stadium and does an interview with me right after the backyard brawl gets done. Uh, it was phenomenal. He's a great dude uh, and, and he's a grinder and, and I love his work uh, up there. But yeah, I had to shout that out real quick. Uh, Nathan. We're going to wrap this thing up, man. Uh, you were great. We loved hearing about UMass, uh, and and we just can't wait to have you guys down here on the Plains, brother. I'm so excited. I'm so sad I won't be there. It's the last yeah. home series of the of the year for me with the Green Jackets, but um, I, I'm sure you guys will be uh, super welcoming. And, you know, again, it's one of those it's one of those situations where, like, we can all understand, like, the game matters more than just the final score. And so yeah. I'm excited for the fans who get to make that trip as well because – I hear Auburn's a beautiful place to be in summer or in the, the, the late summer, early fall. It'll feel like the summer. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, everybody, uh, we will leave you with a war damn Eagle, like always. War and we will catch y'all on Friday's episode. We're out.